John writes, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, dear saints, God in his true divinity and glory is not who or where you would expect to find him. Not at least by our own logic, our own wisdom and reason anyway. Your God is too glorious. (laughs) That's right. Your God is too glorious. And that is a title of a book that was written by Lutheran pastor and theologian Chad Bird. He further goes on to explain how the Lord doesn't typically work in great, glorious, and powerful ways in which we would expect, but he hides his power. Don't get me wrong, he is definitely at work, but amazingly enough, not in the way that we would typically expect. Now, there's an interesting connection today between our epistle from 1 Corinthians and the gospel reading that we have here in Mark. Let me explain. We hear how the Jews demanded that Jesus display a sign. By what authority do you have to clear out the temple? You see, they were convinced that their own actions, selling these sacraments, was a righteous work of the law. And that's how we humans usually operate as well. We want things to make sense to us, logically, with reason. Do this, get that. 
but the divine surpasses our understanding. His ways are not our ways. God doesn't do his greatest work today the way that we would expect, with an awesome display of power and glory, but in other ways. And Peter found that out in our gospel text from last week when he was rebuked by Jesus for thinking the way simply of man with logic and reason. But God is found in words of absolution spoken by a sinner to sinners, a splash of water in the word, a sip of wine and a small piece of bread with words of promise, a covenant. These are not what we expect. These are not what you'd call obvious signs of power and glory. But then again, neither was Jesus dying on a cross. Neither was a resurrection that wasn't displayed in the temple courts in Herod's palace or even in Pontius Pilate's own residence. The good news about Jesus, our humble yet almighty Lord, the message of the cross, well, it's foolish and weak to most people, but is surely the power of God. The Jewish authorities, they were looking for signs, miracles, and wonders from Jesus. But God is found in places far more humble. As Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, that's not to say, though, that God has never displayed a little bit of his awesome power. (laughs) No. Just think about what the Israelites witnessed at Mount Sinai when God gave them the Ten Commandments. The mountain was wrapped in smoke. God descended on it in fire. His voice thundered from it, and the mountain trembled. There were trumpets sounding and lightning flashing all around. And the Israelites, they were struck with fear. And with a truly awesome display of power, the Holy God delivered the Ten Commandments there at Mount Sinai. And the Ten Commandments, they were a big deal then. And they're a big deal now for us, even if they aren't always acknowledged as such. But do the commandments ever strike us down in fear? Do we understand the magnitude that this law delivered with the display of overwhelming authority there at Mount Sinai? Perhaps not in the same way that those or that they were delivered to those followers in the Old Testament biblical times. But the commandments do still apply to us. God's law is relevant to our lives. There'll always be a great outline for how we should live, but there's so much more than that. If we take the time to really understand and meditate on the commandments and use them as a 
as a mirror. We will feel their overwhelming power to condemn and to kill, but not to save. Kill any notion that we're somehow fit to stand in the presence of our holy God, who simply cannot put up with sin. Kill any notion of us being pure and good in and of ourselves. And as we really ponder on the law, it kills us. As we realize that, rightly speaking, because of our unholy thoughts, our words and our actions, we have eternal damnation coming our way. Friends, do you, you love God and trust in him perfectly? Or do we go after other things and set our hearts on them instead? Do you keep God's name, the name that you bear holy in everything that you say and do? Do you treasure the word of God and his holy sacraments? How about honoring those that have authority over you? How do you do at helping and supporting your neighbor in their every single need? Are you sometimes content to think that, well, maybe they're not worth my time? Are, you, are your sexual thoughts and relationships pure? Have you ever gotten anything in a crafty way at another's expense? Are you always protecting the reputation of others? Are you always content with what God has done and given you? You see, when we really reflect on the law, it kills any expectation that we have about, well, being good enough. Yes, it is powerful, but then again, not in the way that is so obvious and easy for the world to perceive. Today, we don't see a mountain wrapped in smoke. We don't hear God's voice thunder as the mountain trembled. We don't hear the trumpets sounding or see lightning flashing all around. So it's easy for us to set aside the law of God's commandments, just as those Israelites did who later ended up worshiping a golden calf. Even though they did have the power and the glory of God revealed to them in person. You see, if we try to be in a relationship with God on our own terms, the way that we want and the way that we expect that relationship to be, well, we, well we're delusional or Foolish, as the text says. And Jesus' reaction there in the temple, well, it's a reminder to us of the fact that we can't mess around with God's holiness. We can't come into his presence on our own terms. No, we can only come into God's presence by his terms, by his will. And by his will and his terms, our perfect holiness and perfect righteousness.
So where does that leave us? Where can we expect to find God in all of his glory? What can we do? Well, that's something that seems foolish to the weak and those who are perishing, who think that they can manage to keep the law, God's command well enough or come up with their own terms for obtaining their salvation. It's something that seems foolish when compared to the wisdom and the reason of this world with logic that says, well, live a good life. Do your best. No one's perfect anyway. As long as you don't hurt anyone, well, then maybe there's several different ways that we can all get to heaven. (laughs) No, that's not right. And that's the exact type of reason that Luther referred to himself as being the devil's whore. Dear dear friends, saints, we know that the most awesome and glorious power of God was on display, not, not at Mount Sinai, but at Calvary, hidden in his weakness. It was there in a glorious matter, good news, our gospel, not the law. There the almighty God became our sin. He took it fully upon himself along with death that we deserve and to do away with it forever. In baptism, we're joined to this mighty God, clothed in his perfect righteousness, despite, yes, despite it looking like a such a weak and a foolish thing in the eyes of so many others. God's power is found in that which looks weak. And it's stronger and more glorious and amazing than anything that we could even imagine. But it came in a humble way. God's weakness in the cross God's weakness in the defeated and bleeding man who rose again. God's weakness in the words written in scriptures and proclaimed by sinners in water and a promise, a promise with humble bread and wine. It hides an awesome power that will blow away your guilt, your death. And save you from the hell prepared for the devil and his angels. If you expect a sign, something that displays and delivers a glorious power. We'll look only to the cross and Christ crucified in his weakness for you and your every sin. Trust in the Lord of grace and mercy whom you are in now. Because of the almighty power of God, the power that is hidden in weakness and makes you strong in love and eternal peace. Yes, that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. May it guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.